and we will record the question and answers also. I remember you had a question. You could just start, would you like? Yeah. And just remember that everybody is benefiting if you if you have a question because everybody can learn, you know, from the question. I have a question around the wholesome, unwholesome intention. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I think I, in today's world, I, I experienced that there's a, a lot of, or it, even in history, a lot of good action can come from people who actually don't have potentially fully wholesome intentions. So they could be driven by fear or lack or craving, um, and yet they can do many good things in the world mm -hmm. from that fuel. And then I've also had the experience from learning to stop and have this practice where when I tap into love and contentment, I find it less, um, there, it's less of a push energy for me to get out and do than the fear, um, lack energy motivation. I was wondering if you could speak to how to, when you're operating from a place of love, how to, to feel that. Um, the, that same degree of motivation that can come from a fear-based energy? <laughs> That's a very good question. Yeah. I think uh, fear and anger are amazing motivators uh, and I think that is a large, uh, like a lot of people are mo motivated by those, those um, energies now in those who are waking up to the situation in terms of climate change or whatever else that may be going on. There's many things that we can feel those, those, uh, those energies around. And um, hmm. I mean, often they can be associated with love, actually. So, so if we don't care, if there's an indifference, we're not going to feel upset about anything. We're not going to feel afraid of anything. So indifference is like a you know, it's just like, who cares? It's all, it's all empty anyway. Let's just kind of watch it all arise to cease. You know, that's, a, that's an indifference. And then there's the, there's the fear and anger where we're not really taking in the bigger picture. So it can be that we, we, we see what's going on, we wake up to something that's going on and we feel really passionately that we must do something now. And, and that can get complicated if we think like I have got to change the world I've got to make it all right so it's a matter of degrees I think so then so that can happen we still feel like oh my god I've got to do something I've got to I've got to make it right and then we feel powerless or or we try really hard and then we get burnt out and then there's the love I, I feel like really if truly coming from love there is a lot of energy love has a lot of powerful energy so there can be a, a sitting back like a benevolence that's more sit resting into the, the bigger picture and having compassion and, and love for all sentient beings regardless of what's going on. That is a, a, a resting place actually that, that many of the mystics also speak about of, of uh, the perfection of all things which you, you know, when you look at the mess of the world which is not just recent you feel like well, how can I say you know, it's perfect but I do understand that on some level it's like okay this is just the the way it is at this moment, but it's not to just like be um, passive in relation to that. So, to really stay present with the suffering of the world, it takes enormous amount of well, it takes a great heart, an enormous amount of energy to focus, because it's huge. 
Then mostly we can take in a little bit, or maybe one issue or two issues, and that's already huge. So I feel like it's a matter of degrees of, of um, you know, if we're too much identified with the situation in ourselves, we just get burnt out and we feel it's all hopeless, then we give up and we, I don't know, you know, just go, start zoning out in front of the TV or, you know, start drinking or whatever it is. And if we're too passive, then we, we're not, you know, we're maybe a little bit in a bubble. So we might be very loving and kind, but we're not actually help, directly helping anyone. So it's somewhere in between those two, where there's the love and there's that allowing the heart to open and be moved, be touched by what's going on. And, and let that be the energy that motivates you to, cha to, to change your own life and the lives of others in the way that you can. Hi, I was hoping you could talk a bit about what monastic life is like and how many hours a day you meditate and what did it give you that you felt lay life couldn't? Okay. Is there any other question about practice before that? We, we happily speak up. Yeah. We'll, we'll just bring that one a bit later on because it's a bit of a sort of story. Yeah. I have a question about like techniques for um, being mindful of the breath yeah. when your mind is in a different state, like mm -hmm. concentrated or, or dull. Uh -huh. I know in Zen that they give techniques of um, different techniques for counting the breath. Right. Mm -hmm. And I've found those useful at times. And then I also wonder when should I let go of those techniques and just be present with the breath without counting or yeah. using gathas or... I, I um, well, hard to say, you know, but uh, I think once you... you as I was saying at the first instruction today, I was speaking about, you know, bringing the body and the mind together. You know, maybe the, the, the mind is still in the car or still in the house, you know, but the body already is here. And just like bringing the mind and the body together that, you know, if you really inhabit your body, you're really sensing your body, not kind of thinking about, you know, breakfast or the children or whatever, just like being fully here and once you, you feel you've settled in that way, then you could just stop counting, I think, and just stay stay with you know, with the body breathing. And then of course the mind will still wander off. But as soon as you notice it, you bring it back. And it's not just about, you know, kind of forcing the mind into the body. But it's more so about seeing, you know, how it is, you know, having a body and a mind. And sometimes it's, the mind is distracted and sometimes it isn't. So it depends, you know, if you want to, if you, I think in the beginning of the seat, it's really good to collect the mind, you know, and do some concentration meditation, like, you know, counting can help, you know, if you're very distracted, or a mantra, you know, can help, or there's different methods, visualization, there's different ways, you know, how different traditions choose objects of meditation. But you know, it's not the the real fruit of the meditation comes through opening up more to a variety. But in order to be able to to have clarity, we need a, a, a certain amount of concentration also. But it's easy to get stuck on the concentration because we can feel start to feel very blissful. You know, concentration is is. Uh, 
if it goes really well, you know, and then we can get a bit addicted to the concentration. So next time we sit down, we just want to get that back. You know, so we, it is, it is a, you know, meditation is not just like kind of making a decision and just doing this. It's, it's also a creative process and it, it changes, you know, certain times, <coughs> other, certain different things are needed. That's also why it's good to have a teacher and, um, and, you know, speak with people who are a little bit uh, further on the path. But generally, you know, sitting down at the beginning, we, we collect the mind and then we open up. Because if we don't open up, then we, we won't, you know, learn very much from the meditation. Does that help a little bit? Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yes. There's one yes, thing that sure. I noticed in, the, in through practicing mindfulness of breathing is that um, just not not influencing the breath, but just where you put your attention. So I notice if I'm sleepy and dull, and I I pray particular attention to the in breath, then that starts to wake me up because the in breath it's like the life giving breath. It's the it's a little bit sharper than the out breath. It's a little bit cooler, physically colder. And so if, if I put main attention on the in-breath when I'm sleepy, then that kind of wakes me up. Or if I'm a bit too t agitated, then I put main attention on the out-breath, that's kind of relaxing, letting go. And the breath itself is warm and soft, so it's got a different quality. So that can also help in, in regulating the, the sort of, you know, the tension, you could say, of the, of the mind, of body-mind. Mm. And then when the mind's more sort of stable, then in a, both in, to, in, in breath and out breath, just equally. Yeah. Try and experiment with that a bit. Yes. Okay. There's one, there's one person, there's one. We'll come back to you both, don't we? Yeah, we don't forget. Yeah. Um, I had a question about when you were talking about um, breathing into whatever emotion takes you over. Um, sometimes I feel like I'm being with an emotion, let's say um, anxiety, let's say I'm being with worry or anxiety, but it doesn't pass. I just sit with it, sit with it, and it's still kind of staying the same way and it's not uh, moving through. So I wanted to know if you have, um, you could describe a little bit about what it looks like exactly to breathe into it and what can help it move through. I mean, it's sweet that you're saying it doesn't pass. Are you anxious at the moment? <laughs> Oh. It has passed, hasn't it? No, I'm not anxious. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> you're right, but it's, it's always like, what like you're thinking that it doesn't because this is one of point. the things with the uh, what's called the afflictive emotions that we we yeah. are afraid because we think yeah. it's never going to change. Right. You know, but at the moment you're not anxious, so right. it has passed. So right. that's that's the first easy answer I can give you. You know, <laughs> because it always passes. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's just not <laughs> passing in the time frame which you want, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's, you know, that's the answer already. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But we can speak more on to it. Do you mm -hmm. want to? Yeah, I think that's, that's like the <laughs> really good that's the answer. <laughs> and that, because it, that's the truth of it. It, it, cha it will change as, it, as all things do. Mm -hmm. And then there's, there's ways that we can meet it. You know, because sometimes, I mean, there's often, and in a way, you're, it's, it's hidden in your question that there's a, there's a wish for it to get rid of it, you know. Right, there's a definitely. There's a hidden aversion to mm -hmm. what's going on. And, 
and our day long is about meeting what is. So, and but it's also about how we meet what is. Mm -hmm. So there's anxiety, and and then there's an awareness of anxiety, and there's like, oh, anxiety. Okay, I'm being aware of anxiety, and there's a subtle aversion and resistance to that anxiety, and there's a kind of watching the clock, like. Okay, how long, okay, I'm with it, and how long is it going to go on for? Okay, it hasn't gone yet, you know. Mm -hmm. There's that going on. So that adds to it, actually. That's, that's kind of putting energy into it. Mm. Because you're, you're, you know, what we put averse energy into, we energize. So instead of um, gritting your teeth and, and uh, waiting for it to go, kind of <laughs> mindfully, uh, to <laughs> breathe, like, just to imagine the breath. I, one thing I would do is, like, imagine the breath like a... I thought that image of conditioner was a really, really good image of, of hair conditioner because if you think that the hair's all, maybe the hair's all kind of knotted up or very, very tight, or, mm -hmm. and then you put the conditioner on, and it's like it, it's like it kind of soothes everything, it smooths it all out, opens it up, and mm -hmm. so it's a similar with the breath. You're kind of breathing through the anxiety, mm -hmm. literally like as though it's stroking inside the body. It's just like breathing through all of those tense, agitated cells mm -hmm. are being breathed through. And you can breathe through your limbs, your torso, and it's like let the breath go right through, as though the breath is actually combing or stroking through the body mm -hmm. and soothing what's going on. So that's one way. Mm -hmm. That's a very lovely mm -hmm. way to work with it. Mm -hmm. That's with anxiety. And with, with um, anger, sometimes it's good just to really be mindful of the anger, like to have a strength of mindfulness that can allow the anger to be there boiling away. And I think one thing that's really, really important is to not follow the stories that the mind comes mm -hmm. up with, because that's where we get into a mess. Mm -hmm. We follow the stories and then, we f then that feeds the energy of the anger or, or of the anxiety or mm -hmm. of the desire or whatever. And that's the key thing, is not to follow those stories that the mind makes up. And it's not that we can stop them, but we move our attention away from them into the feeling in the belly or in the heart. And mm -hmm. So in a way, like what we put our attention onto it nourishes that. Mm -hmm. So if we put our attention onto the actual feeling, then, we, then we're kind of starving mm -hmm. the stories mm -hmm. and we're with the actual direct experience and that will naturally change on its mm -hmm. own. And when we can be with that, then we get to know the, you know, the movement of anger or the movement of anxiety or the movement mm -hmm. of desire. And so we know it more fully and so we're not so much under the power of it. Mm -hmm. And as long as you're sitting with that, without suppressing it and without running after it, then it's like the awareness or the mindfulness is stronger than the energy itself. Mm -hmm. So then you, you develop a, a confidence really when those things arise in more everyday situations. There's, there's more strength of awareness to not just get lost in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I also wanted to say and that's really uh, expressing it very well. It's not about you know making it go away, but like like staffing it of fuel. And then it's just going to, to kind of get weaker and weaker, you know, yeah. And that's that, that self-empowerment, because if you've experienced that for a few times, then, you know, that experience will come back to mind when you're in a similar situation and then you remember it. So it's really important to, to exactly put it into practice and, and then observe it, you know, how, how it does really change the situation and then the, the more clearly we pay attention to it, the more we can recall it when we are again challenged, you know. And then we do it again and this again has a good result and then it becomes second nature, you know, slowly, through, only through experience. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. I think you. It's okay. We do one side and one side. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, so as. Um, as a clinician, uh, core mindfulness is something that I have been familiar with for some time, and I recently decided to kind of make this transition into a more spiritual practice. Um, and I'm wondering if you guys have some words of um, wisdom or guidance, because quite frankly, there are so many options. I am confused. I feel a bit lost. Mm -hmm. um, but it's also something I feel very um, passionate about, about given um, just some of my own personal life experiences lately. So trying to make that transition, and again, I just feel a bit confused. Uh, there are many different um, teachings and genres and directions to go. Mm -hmm. How how did you choose? How did you decide? I mean, you know, I think uh, inside meditation is, you know, if you're coming from a profession where you have been using mindfulness as, as a skillful means, I think the next step would be you know to to learn something about inside meditation you know to to learn more about the framework which in which you know the whole concept of mindfulness uh, has been um, located you, you could say that because sati or mindfulness you know is is one of the core words of of the Buddhist teaching but it's it operates within a within a big framework of teaching. And and uh, yeah, and, and and you could say that's all about. Uh, it's all about a, a framework which, where you use in, where you use mindfulness in order to to produce insight. You know, insight into the way things are. And there's like different um, uh, core concepts you know, to the Buddhist teaching. Like for example, the three uh, characteristics and the four. Um, the Four Noble Truths and the Noble Eightfold Path, all of those core concepts of Buddhism, just to get to know that, you know. There's several retreats here on offer, for example, in Spirit Rock, and there's lots of online material available. And to just start with, with that, you know, and, and make that your own, that start to understand that framework, and then see, you know, what, what you feel called to do next. Yeah, and yeah, it has an amazing amount of material out there. Yeah, but there's some basic, you know, books, even here in the bookshop, which you could just start with with with, with a basic book on that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Hi. Um. Thank you so much for your teachings. Um, I have a question about just breathing um, the breath as an object of meditation. I have found that um, kind of still when I'm trying to, you know, put the attention on the breath, like it's still just really hard to not control it. Um, I have this kind of like like I want it to be very rhythmic like it has to be very even and it's just like I don't know how to not try to make it be that way <clears throat> well that's already a, a, an interesting phenomenon isn't it because it's that, that shows 
how you relate to the conditioned world in a way. So I think it's, it's a really common thing is that basically when we're not thinking about the breath, the body is breathing naturally and peacefully and often. And then when we start to pay attention to the breath, we think we have to do the breath. We have to make it a certain way and, and to be right. And we've got to be in control. So, you know, so that, this, is a, this is a kind of a big deal in a way, because it's like this is in a way what the, the problem is on a, on a world scale, is that we as human beings think we're in control of nature and we're not. So in a little way, as I said, Chita said, you can, you can be in control of the breath, you, know, you can regulate the breath intentionally. But the, and, and that can also have some quite pleasant results, so it's not wrong to do that. But in our style of practice, what we're doing is learning to, to, to let go and to know the process of the breath. So uh, I would just really explore it, just explore it, not, not to be in it with any judgment or, um, or, or again, not, not trying to control yourself to not control it, but <laughs> to see, you know, let go, let go. Just to, just to explore that, that place of like, can I let go? What happens if I just let go, you know? And there might be some fear there. Maybe I'm not going to breathe. Maybe they won't breathe in again. You know, there may be some kind of irrational fear there that if I'm not in control, then everything's going to fall apart. And so just just go there. Just go into that place and explore it and see what happens. Because you know the body is going to breathe as long as it needs to. So even if you forget, it's still <laughs> going to do it. So so you can. I would just really just go in there and explore. And like uh, points like when you get to the end of an outbreath, just. Just be with that moment of, of not knowing and then let the body breathe in when it's ready. Or maybe you'll find like, oh my God, you know, you're tense and you have to breathe. And, and then when you get to the, like the fullness of the in-breath, the natural fullness, not, not where you've decided it should stop. Just see what that feels like and, and just stop there a moment. And then, so just explore in, in places in the breath. If you can just let go and let it be and it, it, with a sense of inquiry, like a curiosity, like, well, what is it like when I, there's just awareness with the body breathing? And it might be that you need to lie down to do it. You know, that might be that might help because sometimes if we're we're sitting and then we're sort of still sort of in the head rather and trying to control it all, so maybe just lie down and just see whether you can let the body breathe with while staying aware. And then if you, if you start to find that you can do that, then you can explore with standing and sitting. But just explore it. And also, yeah. you know, if it's really difficult, then you can just use another object. You don't need to necessarily you know, use the breath as an object for meditation. That's also a possibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, um, Elizabeth. And I think I assume we should go back to this gentleman. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, please. Um, I have a comment, not a question. Yeah. I have um I have a pretty I have a consistent practice and um I just so appreciate that you the both of you are dedicated to the path because um I mean, I have—I've got a long way to go, <laughs> but I do happen to believe that this is a path to liberation. And having the two of you dedicate your lives to this and showing up and 
still on it is um, <laughs> is very inspiring and very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. So thank you so much. Thank you. So maybe we can come to your question yes. now, isn't it? You said about you know why we have been choosing this life, isn't it? And and about the monastic schedule. And uh, and how, how the monastic routine is. Yeah, what your days like and mm -hmm. what you got from being monastic that you Okay. So we can each answer that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can start. Sure. <laughs> I've said it so many times. Yeah, we, it's one of those ones. <laughs> so in terms of our, our monastic schedule, there is actually a card at the back there that has the weekly schedule on it. And uh, basically we, we have a rising bell at five in the morning, although some people get up earlier than that. And we sit together from 5.30 till 6.15. And then we have about 15 minutes of chanting together. And, and, and there's a group of, there's, there are three nuns, and then we have um, two women who are living with us long term, and then we have other guests coming through. So it is possible for, for much of the year, it is possible to stay as a guest at the, at the monastery in small numbers. Women so and men. Women and men, yeah. So we have, a, we have an, an eight person limit. So, so, but there are some, some opportunities to stay there. And uh, so then we have our chanting, and then we have half an hour, which is just open. And often people do exercise, or and also if one person makes breakfast at that time. That people often make do exercise or do whatever they need to do. Then we have breakfast at seven, and then we ha and then we have a work meeting at seven forty-five, and then we, we go through our calendar, and then we, we work in the morning doing all, all kinds of different things, whatever needs to be done. And then the afternoons, um, there's no fixed schedule in the afternoon, so they're technically available for practice, study. We have a very lovely library where we are, and a shrine room for meditation. So uh, that's the. If you're if you're a visitor, then you have the afternoon for 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 that. If you're living there, you're working. <laughs> we work. <laughs> we answer millions of emails, and you know, plan things and repair things, and and uh, repair things. And so we're pretty busy actually. And uh, and then we have at seven. O'clock. We have um, chanting and meditation for about an hour, and at the, the enclosure at the end of the day. So that's the kind of general daily schedule. And then through the week, we have Mondays and Tuesdays are our quiet days. So Monday is still is like a catch-up day, but we don't keep the schedule in the same way. So the only fixed things are breakfast and the meal, and other than that, people are free to do as they need to do. And Tuesday is similar to that, but we keep noble silence, and it's really more of a practice day. And uh, and then we also have once a week a sutta discussion. So we, we look at one of the suttas, the Pali suttas, and we, we just talk together about that sutta. We read it through and talk together. And once a week we also have tea with the guests who are over there and, and discussion about practice. And then we have, um, through the winter, from mid... Well, Hopefully this year we'll see. From mid-January through mid-April, we have a we go into retreat ourselves. So we have um, three months of silent meditation, and some of that is structured where we sit together, and some of it is just solitary practice. And that's a kind of a rhythm of the year in a way. And also through the through the year, we have two periods. So we had one in June, a few days of retreat where the, the monastery goes into retreat, and then in November coming up soon, thank goodness, we're going to have 10 days where we just have silent meditation practice together. So.
So, so it's a combination of, of um, meditation and work and study and also for us, you know, quite a bit of traveling and teaching. And in terms of um, what have I gained from the monastery that I couldn't have gained in lay life, it's a, it's a, I think it's a very personal thing, you know, for every individual it's different. And for me, I, I just had a very strong, from when I was you know, quite young, like 13, 14, I just had a really strong sense of, this just doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. What is going on? <laughs> so, and I think um, a large part of that was having, um, just recognizing it, uh, the reality of death, you know, having having two quite significant deaths um, when I was 13, 12 and 13, and then it really kind of hit home of, wow, you know, and, and being at that age where you're, you're just at the sort of beginning of high school and you, you're, sp you're sort of, it's all about becoming somebody, developing yourself and becoming somebody, and then I'm realizing, you know, you're going to die at the end of it, so what, what's going on here, you know? And nobody's talking about it, but it all seems a bit crazy. <laughs> And um, so that got me thinking of, of like, how do you live this life? You know, how do you get motivated to do all of these things that people do when it's kind of, it ends in death? This was how I saw it at that time, which it does. And now I would say it's about how one lives one's life. It's about this, this few years of precious opportunity that we have to, to bring something of value into the world. And, so I think I wouldn't have found that. I, I was too confused, personally, to have been able to find that in, in my lay life. And, and also having a quite a strong self-destruct tendency, and I probably wouldn't have made it to 46. <laughs> 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 Which is how well I am now. So that's, so that's for me. Mm. Um, for me, um, I was also quite confused and um, and you know, always looking for for guidance, you know, and uh, and then really, when once I by coincidence met my first teacher, uh, Ajahn Buddha Dasa in Thailand, but just you know, seeing him and being in his presence, I for the first time I had the feeling this is what I have been looking for in so many different areas, you know, on in books and on university and in art and many different places, and. And and uh, and never really found. And then by meeting him, I had the feeling he got it. And I was surprised because he was a monk in his eighties. You know that I wasn't prepared for that. So, but I still was willing to stop and listen. So I went on a retreat in that monastery, and then I kept returning to to that monastery on retreat. And then I I, I, I started to have this calling, you know, to become a nun, and I was actually horrified and confused because <laughs> I just thought this is like crazy, you know, it's the last thing what I want to do, but it just became, you know, it, it became stronger and stronger, and then somehow, you know, all of the doors in my life started to close, and only the door in the monastery opened wide, you know, and I just... I just stepped into it, thinking I'm going to do it for one year or two years, and then okay, one more year, okay, one more year. Now I'm in the robe for twenty years, you know. So that's how it happened. One more year. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I think I have given up, you know, thinking in that. <laughs> no, yeah, but it's not that long time ago, you know, actually. Yeah. So it was. It was. It's a mysterious process, you know, and. Um, 
And what I've gained from it is also because the, the degree of my confusion was such like, you know, that I wouldn't have been able to move out of it without, without the skillful framework of the monastery. Because I, I wanted to do it fast, you know, once I, I really become aware. And also for me it was a very sudden death of my mother when I was 28, you know, which was a very big wake-up call, you know, that I had that very strong, had that sense of urgency, you know. So, and this is also, you know, why I think that, that for example, the environmental crisis is, is, is a blessing in disguise also, you know, because it's, it's a wake-up call for those who are willing to listen, you know, because when my mother died I could have used that as a wake-up call, it's what I did, you know, I could, uh, could have gone further into delusion, you know, by distracting myself. And, and I just felt I was, by then I was ready, you know, to just pay attention. And so when I think back, you know, that was a great gift she gave me somehow, you know, in, indirectly. And so, yeah. And, you know, and monastic life is not an ideal lifestyle either, you're not just like any other. And it's, it's not easy and, and uh, it really depends on how you're using it. You know, you can use, you can distract yourself into the monastery also endlessly, you know, if you choose to. And uh, it's just like a, a skillful means and, and we have to know how to use it, you know, in order to really benefit from it. Because one can get completely, you know, kind of stuck onto tradition and being a good girl, a good boy, and all of those things. That it's not about that, you know. It's really helping us to simplify our lives and to conserve energy for, you know, for kind of going deeper. Yeah. I think now we're gonna sit in it. So let's have a little break. Mm -hmm. Just stretch your legs and then we're going to have our last sit <coughs> of the afternoon. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.